For years, the conversation of same-sex attraction has been a really difficult one to have. And it's been difficult because it's almost been divided into two camps. On the one hand, you have Christians who have really strong views about the sinfulness of homosexuality. And homosexuality is a sin in Scripture. But in the other camp, you have people who have same-sex attraction, and they haven't always felt loved by Christians. So might there be a better approach to this topic? One that's more helpful? One that's both honest, but also grace-filled? That's what we're going to talk about today, and really the next two episodes it's same-sex attraction and Christianity. Let's get into it. Welcome to Faith in Real Life, where we talk about the truths of the Bible that are relevant to your life and faith. My name is Obi. I'm the pastor to men and single adults at First Baptist O'Fallon, and this is the first of three episodes on same-sex attraction and Christianity. So first, in this episode, we're going to look at how Christians who do not have same-sex attraction should approach this, to- uh, this topic. For the next two episodes, we're going to look at what the Bible has to say to individuals who have same-sex attraction. So in episode two, we're going to talk about their identity. And then in episode three, we'll talk about what a true path to freedom looks like. So my hope is that we are able to kind of put our own views aside and we're able to hear God's heart on this topic. So to begin with, I just want to ask an honest question. What is the goal of Christianity towards people who are same-sex attracted? Now, maybe that's kind of a, an odd question for you to hear. Uh, maybe you say, I don't really have goals toward people, but I'm going to submit to you that Christians should have goals towards people. And in this instance, we need to have goals toward people who are same-sex attracted. Now, if you were to take a poll today about what is the most famous verse, and you've probably heard this if you've been in church for uh, any length of time, it used to be John 3.16, uh, the For God to Love the World verse. But now... You could ask people who don't even go to church, and they'll say, doesn't the Bible say not to judge? And so, of course, they're referring to Matthew 7, verse 1 through 5, and I'm just going to read those. Matthew 7, 1 through 5 says, do not judge so that you won't be judged. And so that's where a lot of times we pause, right? And so there's this uh, notion in Christianity um, and, and outside of Christianity about Christians about judgment, that, hey, Christians, why are you so judgmental? Because, after all, the Bible tells you not to judge. And there's some truth in that about the condemning nature of judgment, but uh, a lot of times we've assigned discernment to that, and we feel like, well, then I also can't discern. Whereas the Bible is very clear in many places, including places like Philippians chapter 1, that Christians are called to be discerning. Discernment is big, biblical, but I'll submit to you that judgment is God. So this says, do not judge so that you won't be judged. Well, verse 2 goes on to say, for you will be judged by the same standard with which you judge others, and you will be measured by the same measure you use. And just at the outset, when I explain this uh, to people, when we talk through this, well, what standard am I measured by? Ultimately, a person's true measure is whether or not they have Christ. A person either has Jesus or they don't have Jesus. That's 1 John chapter 5 talks about that. So this goes on to say, Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye, but don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take the splinter out of your eye, and look, there's a beam of wood in your own eye. So kind of using hyperbole there, as if you have a whole beam in your eye. But it does point to the hypocritical nature of 
people oftentimes, and sometimes, yes, Christians, that we, we very easily point to the other person's sin and we ignore the different sins in our lives. So this says, verse 5, Hypocrite, first take the beam of wood out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. Now my, my purpose in this um, and, and what we're going to go through is not to beat up Christians or say the church has been all wrong. Uh, I just want to have an honest conversation. And I want to start with where I believe the world kind of views Christians. Right now, I think the, the world, oftentimes, as you think of the Gospel of John, when Jesus says that we'll be known by love, a lot of times we're not. A lot of times we're known by Matthew 7, where it says, don't judge so that you won't be judged. I mean, you could think of people, I'm sure, in your life that has said, doesn't the Bible say not to judge? So I'll say this, discernment is a biblical thing, but judgment is God's until the end where it says we'll even judge the angels, but that's in the next life. In this life, we have to realize judgment is God's. Uh, I've been reading, uh, recently read, recently finished a book, uh, Gay Girl, Good God by Jackie Hill Perry, and it kind of uh, serves as a little bit of inspiration for these next few um, these next few episodes. And this is just a really awesome, really what I see it as a testimony. It's her testimony, and uh, she she's a poet and uh, just very, very eloquent. And if you listen to it on Audible, uh, it's just a really impassioned um, testimony. And so Gay Girl, Good God uh, is just fantastic. And as early as in her introduction, she says, To heterosexuals who have never been tempted with homosexuality, I have not always loved how you love gay people. And I just wanted to think about a few things in that statement. Um, first, to heterosexuals, we have to recognize that um, a lot of people who are listening to this have never been tempted with homosexuality, that it's a different thing. And oftentimes we do put homosexuality in its own category, and there's been just some um, absurd and unusual conversations about homosexuality. Like, I remember growing up, there, the conversation surrounded by, is there such a thing as the gay gene and, and stuff like that? And we've, we've made homosexuality, or as I'm going to call it through this, same-sex attraction, uh, because I contend, and we're going to get into it in the next episode, that it's a desire that some people have just like any other desire. You know, I, I may have desire... Uh, I, I like things like burritos. I, I like to eat food. I have different desires that uh, when indulged upon, and especially if hunger, if I overindulge in that, then it's a sin. And so people are, they carry around all sorts of desires. And so there are some people in this world who have a desire of same-sex attraction. Now, there could be a lot of reasons behind it. Um, it may be a, an environmental condition. Who knows the different reasons? But the reality is there are people in this world who have a same-sex attraction. All right, so we just have to realize the truth of that. And this says, To heterosexuals who have never been tempted with homosexuality, I have not always loved how you love gay people. And so just thinking about our goal. That's the first question I ask. What goal uh, do should Christians have toward people who are same-sex attracted? So let's admit this. If the goal were to ostracize, condemn, and expel, then Christians have been relatively successful in their approach to the homosexual community, right? That may be a painful statement to hear, but if that were the goal, one could argue we've been pretty successful. But I think we all know that's not our goal or at least it shouldn't be. So the question is this, 
What goal does God have in mind for people who are same-sex attracted? What goal does God have in mind really for Christians towards people who are same-sex attracted? I'm going to look at two passages in Luke chapter 15, and there's a third. I'm not going to read the whole third one because it'd be too long, uh, but I'm going to read two out of the three, and then I'll just kind of talk about the third. And so the first one, Luke chapter 15, verse 1, says this. It says, All the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him, talking about Jesus. And the Pharisees and scribes were complaining, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them, so he told them this parable, What man among you who has a hundred sheep and loses one of them does not leave the ninety-nine in the open field and go after the one lost one until he finds it? When he has found it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. And coming home, he calls his friends and neighbors together, saying to them, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. I tell you in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous people who don't need any repentance. So I want to ask this again. What goal does God have in mind for people who are same-sex attraction attracted? I already talked to you just a second ago about the the views that we as Christians sometimes separate homosexuality, same-sex attraction, as if it's a desire unlike any other desire, as if as if it's something that um, that we just can't fathom, and and there must be something just different about that person. There must be a gene, or, or there's just something we just can't understand it because, well, the typical person may not have that desire, right? We all have the hunger desire. Most people can understand some sort of sexual desire, even if it's a, a sinful one. Uh, people can understand the desire of greed or anger, things like that. Well, the desire of same-sex attraction is oftentimes more foreign to the typical person. And yet, I'll submit to you the same thing. What goal does God have in mind for people who are same-sex attracted? I'm going to say it's the same thing that he has for any sinner. If a sinner of any type doesn't know Jesus, God the Father in heaven wants them to do so desperately, so desperately that he'd leave the 99 behind searching for them. I want us to think about that as we're thinking about what goal should we as Christians have toward a person who is same-sex attracted and apart from Christ. God the Father talking about sinners, sinners who if they repent, his desire to get them to repent is such that he would leave 99 to go for the one. If a sinner of any type doesn't know Jesus, God the Father in heaven wants them so desperately that he'd leave the 99 behind searching for them. Well, the, the parables continue. So that was Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 7. This is Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 8. So the very next verse, Jesus continues saying, Or what woman who has ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it. When she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, because I have found the silver coin I lost. I tell you, in the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents. Now, coins don't mean as much nowadays, right? <laughs> we would probably use debit card and credit card for most types of things, and maybe, maybe occasionally you write a check. And if you have cash in your wallet, then um, you know that's a rare, rare thing. Maybe you, maybe you still use cash. I don't know. A lot of people don't, though. Um, so this, this analogy of a silver coin, let's say it's your cell phone. <laughs> 
if you lose your cell phone, you place your cell phone somewhere, and you have no idea where it is, what's the first thing you do? You call all sorts of people, using someone else's phone, of course, saying, hey, I can't find it. Is it in your car? Did I leave it in your office? Did I leave it at your house? And you look for it. And then the moment you finally find it and you realize, oh, it was in my bag the whole time, or, oh, actually, you ever done that where it's in your pocket still? Like you're looking for something and it's just right there on you. Uh, the moment you find it, though, you call the people who are looking and you're like, yes, I found it. And there's just this relief. And so here's this picture of a woman that has 10 silver coins, but she loses one. She lights a lamp. She sweeps her whole house. I think of my uh, middle child. He has this the stuffed animal, that he, it's a lion, he calls it, um, super unique name, Mr. Roar. It's actually kind of catchy. But if that kid loses this, this animal, he has a bed filled with stuffed animals. But if he doesn't find that one, if it's not in there, he's, he's going to come down. Danielle and I, my wife Danielle and I, will be sitting down watching a TV show or something. The kids are supposed to be asleep. It's been an hour. And he comes down and he says, hey, I can't find Mr. Roar. Right, and we'll look for a second, find it, and then he's able to go to bed. There's a desperation, a desire to find what is lost. That's what we see in this, this parable in Luke 15, verses 8 through 10. We see in this story that there's a desire to find what's lost. There's a lost coin, and she sweeps the house. She cares so much to find this one thing, and we can relate to that if we lose something like a cell phone. We can, we can relate to that desperation and then that relief so I want to ask you this, is that your goal for someone with same-sex attraction? Do we as Christians have that as the same goal? That's what I see in these two, these two stories, Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 10. You have two different stories. you got the lost sheep and you got the lost coin. And God the Father is trying to teach us something that that's how he feels about lost people, about people who do not know Jesus. And oftentimes, Christians put same-sex attraction in this special category and... And we, we act like if you have this specific sin, then, then you're not a sinner like the rest of us. You, it's a different desire. It's, it's something different. You have different rules. But to be separated from Christ is to be separated from Christ. If a person doesn't know Jesus, they don't know Jesus. And that's the only thing that gets them into the kingdom of heaven. That's what I'm talking about today. Today I'm not talking about a Christian who struggles with same-sex attraction. We're going to talk about that in later episodes because I believe that there are the church probably has lots of Christians that, that may not admit it, but they struggle with same-sex attraction. Just like the church is filled with all sorts of people who struggle with pornography or there's been adultery or, or maybe someone has anger issues. or There's lots of different ones, but I think there are Christians who struggle with same-sex attraction. But I'm not talking about them today. Today I'm talking about people who a Christian would consider part of that homosexual community. I'm talking about them, but I'm talking to Christians. In the eyes of God, a lost person who has same-sex attraction is not in a special category of sinfulness that the world or we have put them in. They're a lost sheep or a lost coin that God desires to find, and he wants a relationship with them. Well, the passage goes on. It's not just those first two stories. There's a third one, an equally famous one, maybe even more so. So the third story is the prodigal son. Now, I'm not going to read the whole thing, verses 11 through 32, but listen to verse 32. After the prodigal son returns, it says, We had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours, so it's the dad talking to the, the 
other brother that was jealous, he said, We had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So I like this one because it's, it's more people in it, right? It's not just a sheep, not just a coin. It's a father and his child. And so you have this picture of one human being excited when another human returns. And of course, that's the picture of us returning to God. But I want us to think of our attitude toward people who are same-sex attracted. Uh, in this book, Gay Girl, Good God, Jackie Hill Perry, she discusses um, a time when she was trying to return to church after she had, um, she had surrendered to God, but obviously that's going to be a hard lifestyle transition. You know, she, she can feel uh, totally rejuvenated by Christ and, and uh, made clean by Christ. But there's no doubt that there's going to be an earthly transition. And so she recounts kind of going to church and feeling a little out of place at times until she comes to this one church and there's this lady at church that specifically tried to remember her name. Like she walked up to her and she said something like, hey, I haven't seen you before. What's your name? And then she said it and the lady repeated her name like she was trying to lock it into memory. And here's the quote that she said. She said, with her I didn't feel like a problem to be fixed, but a person to be loved. I didn't feel like a problem to be fixed, but a person to be loved. Now, in the next few episodes, we're going to look at how God views individuals who have same-sex attraction and what it would look like for that person to be both Christian and to have a same-sex attraction. But first, what we're talking about today is Christians. I want us to look at us. Here is the bottom line. Christians must do a better job at loving people who have same-sex attraction. That doesn't mean accepting sin in our lives or theirs, but it means loving them as people created in, in the image of God and of inestimable value. God does. God loves them. In fact, Romans 5.8 tells us that God proves his own love for us and that he died while we were yet sinners. That's the God we preach. One of my main takeaways from this book, Gay Girl, Good God, is that it is a call for Christians to show the world a good God. Like so oftentimes, we do get kind of just pinned with that, that view of judgment, that Matthew 7, 1 view. And God, yes, he does call us to be discerning. But we have a God who is good. Let me tell you, as tempting as whatever sin you deal with, I deal with, someone with same-sex attraction deals with, what we oftentimes don't paint is the picture is that God is better. God is more satisfying. God is more fulfilling. There is greater joy in Him. There is greater hope. That's the God that we serve. Gay girl, but good God. A girl with same-sex attraction who recognize who opened up to the fact that there was a God who is good, that created her, that loved her, that wanted something even better for her. Now make no mistake, she wasn't drawn into the homosexual community just because it was the hip thing to do. She was drawn there by real desires. And one of the most freeing things that I read in this book is that her desire to be with God was just stronger. Is that the God that we preach to people? We need to be Christians who point people, yes, to a God who is holy, 
but a God who loves the person. Not just when we say he's a God of love, we almost say that he is a God of love, but we almost say that like we're saying, well, he'll just, okay, well, you're in your sin, and so you can just be in your sin because he's a God of love. No, we're saying more than that. He is a God that loves you so much, he's not going to keep you in this state of sinfulness. And it's not just, the sinfulness is not just this one thing. It's not just the homosexuality that Jackie Hill Perry had to deal with. It wasn't just that same-sex attraction that she was going to have to wrestle with to realize that all of her needed redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Not just one thing. Not just the sin that has taken the headlines that has turned two peoples against each other where Christians almost see a group of people as an enemy instead of lost sheep and lost coins, lost souls to be won to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christians, let's love people. Let's love them by pointing them to the gospel of Jesus Christ who forgives sinners even like us. Because we too were like sheep who have gone astray until we found the good shepherd. Well, thank you for watching if you're on YouTube or listening if you're on the podcast. If you are in the O'Fallon, Illinois area, we would love for you to stop by and visit our church. We have two awesome services each week, and we have small groups called Life Groups, and now they're for all ages. And if you're in a vulnerable category, just not comfortable coming back to church yet, we also stream all of our service, and we have lots of online Life Groups where you're able to connect and participate. You can find out details about that and all the things happening in our church through social media and at fbcofallon.org. That is fbcofallon.org. We'll see you next time, next two weeks, talking about same-sex attraction in the church. See you next time.